back when I was in high school, um, I played the drums. And I, I played the drums in a couple different places. I played the drums at the North Idaho College Symphony Orchestra. And what that meant was that I actually played the crash cymbals. Big, two cymbals, you hold them like this, and, you, and this is what you do, you go, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, for like a long time. And then you go, bam! And then you go, one, two, three, four, one. It's super technical. And that's one way to play the drums. But then I would also go to church and play the drums. And at church, it was very different. At church, the song would start, and then I would come in playing the drums, and I would be watching our worship leader, because if I got off, he'd start doing this, which is super embarrassing. It happened a lot. And I was just, but I was constantly in it. And I think our engagement with God in prayer often looks like playing the crash cymbals. Like at a very specific moment, hopefully every day, we engage with God. God! And we have this amazing thing. And then we're done. But what I want to talk about this morning is something a little different. I want to ask the question, what if prayer is meant to be more like the experience of me playing the drum kit? of being in the song and moving with the flow of the music. Maybe it's fast, maybe it's slow, maybe it's loud, maybe it's quiet, but always being connected to the rhythm of the song. Jake said this, we're in a series called Transformation. We're talking about spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines, the idea that we are called as Christians to be shaped into the image of Jesus over time. And what are the means that he has provided for us to do that? So this morning, I want to talk about something uh, called continual prayer. Uh, we started talking about prayer last week. We, tar- we talked about rhythms of prayer, right? About set times throughout the day when you might incorporate a quiet space, a quiet time to pray. We talked about incorporating the prayers of the church into our practice, praying the Lord's Prayer as part of that kind of rhythm of prayer. But we're going to talk about something a little bit different this morning. The reason we're doing this second is because I think it builds on the first. We have these set times of prayer that launch us into more continual prayer. John Piper says, if your longing is to be spontaneous in the way you commune with God, then build discipline into your Bible reading and prayer. Tim Keller similarly says, there should be background music of thankfulness and joy behind every incident in our day, audible only to us. This kind of spontaneous and constant prayer during the day should be a habit of the heart. We will never develop it, however, unless we take up the discipline of regular daily prayer. So last week we talked about that. What does it look like to have times of regular daily prayer as part of our spiritual practice? but that that practice is what forms a life that is marked by continual conscious awareness of God. This regular prayer habit is a springboard for a more consistent, continual prayer life. And so we have one verse to look at this morning, Ephesians 6, 18, and I want to look at three ideas that are communicated in this verse. Firstly, that our prayer should be constant. 
Secondly, that our prayer should be true. And thirdly, that our prayer should be alert. So Ephesians 6.18, I'll read it again. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So the first thing Paul tells us is that our prayer should be constant. He says, pray at all times. The first question I think it's reasonable to ask when we come across this verse is, is Paul serious? Does he really mean that? Should we pray at all times? I've been in many contexts in a church environment where you hear something like, uh, in the Greek, all means all, and that's all all means. Have you ever heard that? Except sometimes when we don't want it to mean all, and then we go like, well, not really. Here's the thing, though. I think Paul is serious here. I think Paul wants us to be praying all the time because it turns out that this idea is all over the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, just pray constantly. Pretty simple. Psalm 105.4, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face always. Romans 8.5, for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on the things of the spirit. Colossians 3, so if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then John 15, remain in me and I in you, just as the vine is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. Now, I could keep going over and over and over and over again. The Bible seems to think that we should be maintaining a continual conscious awareness of God. And I think that at its most fundamental is what prayer is. This fascinating verse in 1 John 3, dear friends, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. This is one of the verses where we get uh, the doctrine of what's called the beatific vision. This idea that one day in the kingdom of God, when it comes in its fullness, we will behold God for who he is. We will have an experience of constant, unmediated communion with Christ. That this is what we get to look forward to. John Owen, who is a a Puritan pastor, talks about this this way. He says, No man shall ever behold the glory of Christ by sight hereafter, who doth not in some measure behold it by faith here in this world. Grace is a necessary preparation for glory and faith for sight. Where the soul is not previously seasoned with grace and faith, it is not capable of glory or vision. We are not so vain as to hope for skill and understanding in the mystery of a secular art or trade without the diligent use of those means whereby it may be attained. And shall we suppose that we may be furnished with spiritual skill and wisdom in this sacred mystery without diligence in the use of the means appointed of God for the attaining of it? Super archaic language, but what Owen is saying is that if our future involves this direct, continual, constant access to the glory of God, our present should involve pursuing that end. If we delight in God, if we hope to experience God in his fullness one day, we have the opportunity to practice that now. There is a... uh, custom of the Maori culture in New Zealand called the hongi. You may have seen pictures of people doing this. It's where two people put their foreheads and their noses together as a form of greeting. It 
symbolically involves the exchange of, of life because it's the exchange of breath. And I mean, I, I hope you're, there's breath mints involved in that, but the, it's, a, it's a very intimate, very close greeting. It's very different than a handshake that we're used to. Strahan Coleman in his book, Beholding, uses this as an example of the kind of relationship that God calls us into. He says that the Maori traditionally used to recount their ancestry together during the Hongi until they found a common ancestor to unite them. They would, they'd put their heads and their noses together and start listing off relatives until they could figure out how they were related to one another. This kind of intimacy is illustrative of the kind of connection that God seeks with his people. And if that sounds uncomfortable to you, because, I mean, it does kind of sound uncomfortable to me. I don't know many people who I would be comfortable outside of my wife and children with have, doing that sort of greeting with. But then do you, do you ever experience God like that? Do you ever experience the closeness of his presence? Ever, let alone all the time, continually. Maybe, maybe a better question is, do you want to? Is that something that sounds like it'd be good? I think we often see God as an entry on our calendar. This is my quiet time. This is when I engage with God. And again, like I said, that's really good to establish those rhythms and those habits. But the culminating hope of our faith is consistent, continual communion with God. It's what we were made for in the Garden of Eden. It's what sin destroyed. It's what Jesus came and died and rose to restore and it's the only thing that ultimately satisfies the desires of our hearts. And maybe, maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. I don't know everybody. Maybe you're here with a friend and, and, and you would wonder, what, what, is this, what is this faith thing about? It's about this. It's about communion with God. It's about reconnecting with God in a way that sin has disrupted and broken. Think about for a second, a husband and wife in love, but separated. Years ago, the opportunity to connect was letters. You would write a letter to the one you loved and send it in the mail and would get there days, weeks, months later. And you'd cherish that letter and write back. And later on, technology has allowed us to, to have phone calls with the people we love at a distance, right? You get to hear their voice on the other line so much better than just the written word. And now we have, you know, FaceTime and Zoom and all of these video tools where we can actually see people at a distance. And it's so much better. But there isn't a couple in existence that would ever take any of those as the ultimate end of their relationship, right? There is nothing that beats face-to-face, -face, voice, sight, touch, smell, taste. No couple in love is willing to settle for less. And, and this intimacy is the life with God that is being restored to us through Christ. So when Paul says, and all of Scripture echoes, hey, your prayer life should be constant, 
I think we need to take him seriously. And if you're saying like, well, I don't feel like my prayer life is constant, that's why we're talking about transformation, right? We're going towards a goal. This is the hope that we have. So our prayer should be constant. It should also be true. He continues, he says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. We could unpack what that means for days, but I think it means at least this one thing that John says, or that Jesus says in John 14. Jesus says, I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. See, our communion with God comes by the Holy Spirit and because of that must be grounded in the truth. Next week, we're gonna start talking about a spiritual discipline interacting with God's word because prayer and God's word go hand in hand. If we're gonna have a connection with God, we have to know what he's like. We have to understand what's true. You can't have a connection with someone that you don't know. One of my um, nightmares, some people are like, I, you know, public speaking is terrible. I can do that all day. Uh, snakes, right? Like sharks, what are you afraid of? Here's what I'm afraid of. Setting an appointment with someone over text message that I don't know, that I've never met, whose picture I do not have. Showing up at the coffee shop, scanning the room full of tables. There's like three guys sitting by themselves. I wonder if that's my guy. I wonder if he got there before me. I wonder if I'm the first one here and I should sit down and wait for him. And then every single person that comes through the door, is that the guy I'm supposed to meet? And then we have to have that weird conversation and kind of look at each other and go like, hey, are you looking for somebody? I'll just leave. Like, I don't, I don't want that at all. Because there's no connection with people that you don't know. There's no way to do that. You need to have at least a little bit of truth to start a relationship, right? Continuing in John 14, Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Now, this verse immediately applies to the apostles and their recording of the words of Jesus in the New Testament. But I think the principle is that the Holy Spirit of God inside us is going to point us back to truth about Jesus, about the gospel, about the nature of God, which is found in the scriptures. And this is important because as we talk about living a life of continual prayer, things start to get a little subjective. And I don't think that's bad. I think God calls us into a subjective experience with him. But it's worth pointing out. John Piper was once asked, at what point can we objectively say that a person goes too far in seeking an experience with God? Piper answered, when he closes his Bible. If we are going to be faithful to our prayer life, our communion and our connection with God must be grounded in the truth. Or we're not really having an experience with God. When I was growing up, back when I, back when I was playing drums in, in high school, um, I was one of the drummers at our church, and the other drummer was our pastor's son. And uh, I'm the, the, the greatest thing, I would, I would drum on one service and he would drum on the other service, but our pastor would occasionally have anecdotes about his son, the drummer. And so I would be out in the community, and people would come up to me and they would say, hey, how's your dad? And I'd go, he's good, <laughs> knowing that they were asking about my pastor and unwilling to burst their bubble. 
they didn't really know me. They thought they did. They thought they had information about who I was and who my father was, but they had wrong information. See, we can't truly have a relationship with a person that we don't really know anything about. So if we commit ourselves to a continual practice of true prayer grounded in God's word, what does that look like? And this is a big question. This is something that the church has meditated on for centuries. Different traditions have come up with different ways of practicing continual prayer. In general, uh, people who spend their time thinking about this sort of thing get labeled mystics or contemplatives. A mystic is a person who seeks out connection with the supernatural world, who says that there is a non-material reality out there and I want to have a conversation with that reality. Mystic, in its essence, is a neutral word. What matters is who you're connecting to, how you connect with them. This quote by G.K. Chesterton, I think, is really um, perceptive. He says, the religions of the earth do not greatly differ in rites and forms. They do greatly differ in what they teach. They agree in machinery. Almost every great religion on earth works the same external methods with priests and scriptures and altars and sworn brotherhoods and special feasts. They agree in the mode of teaching. What they differ about is the thing to be taught. And this is why, and what Chesterton is saying is that a lot of the times, the outward appearance of a lot of different faith traditions looks the same, but again, the inside, the core, the truth that they are proclaiming is very different. This is why God in his word commands us to stay away from mediums and necromancers and sorcerers, not because they don't connect us to the spirit world, but because they do. And it's not a good idea to be connected to the spirits on the other side. Because ultimately there is a world of spiritual power that wants to destroy us. But then we come back to this text. I think that scripture this morning encourages us to grow deeply in actually knowing God. So throughout the history of the church, there've been men and women who have given special attention to this idea. How How do we do that? How do we grow in that? In the Christian mystical tradition, we find men and women that would have, we'd have varying levels of theological agreement with, some more so than others, who have found paths of communion with God, some better and some worse. But I think that we have a long history of faith that can give us helpful tools to discover means to pray all the time. As long as we're keeping the scriptures as the source of truth, in our communion with God. Carl Truman, who is a very modern, if you know Carl Truman, he's a, he's a very um, academic kind of dry thinker. He says, we live in a casual age when we stroll flippantly in and out of God's presence. The mystics did not do so. Indeed, what makes them mystics is their sensitivity to their very smallness and insignificance before the vastness of God, who in himself is unknowable and who has chosen to reveal himself in the fragile forms of human words and human flesh. So, as we begin to talk about maybe some practical application of this, I want to give another caution because I think it's important to be wary I think an active, continual communion with God as part of our daily lives is a worthy goal and it's something that scripture commands. But it's also a dangerous path. 
Many, many Christians have completely rejected this kind of thought in Christianity because it seems Eastern or it seems New Agey. And maybe some of you are feeling that a little bit as I talk about it. And that impulse is understanding because Satan is a counterfeiter. He takes things that are good and he twists them and he distorts them and he makes them dangerous and evil. And if we are not people who ground ourselves in God's word as our ultimate truth, we can be deceived by the spiritual realm. This can be true in our theology. This can be true in the way we serve people, in our ethics. Things that sound Christian or feel spiritual can be dangerous. And this, I think, is where the church through the centuries can be helpful. I've heard it said that tradition is knowing which mushrooms will kill you without having to eat them. So if we're called to pray constantly, to pray in the truth, what sort of prayer practice should we be doing? And I think the church has a lot to say about that. And Paul says it here that our prayer should be at all times in the spirit. And he says, stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. We're called to pay attention in continual prayer. Think, you can think of it like, like a radio broadcast. Radio waves are, are constantly pouring out from the tower, but the tuner, if, if you're old enough to know what a, a tuner on a radio is, has to scan the frequencies to find the one that it can hear. God is, God is a God who speaks, and he is speaking to us. How do we tune in to what God is saying? There is a, a, a spiritual practice um, that has a variety of names. Sometimes it's called a breath prayer. Sometimes it's called a contemplative prayer. But short, simple, memorizable prayer statements that you can work deeply into your heart by saying them in a single breath. Some examples, Psalm 56.3, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Luke 22, not my will, but yours be done. There's a pretty famous prayer called the Jesus Prayer. It was developed by the Desert Fathers in the third and fourth century. It comes from couple different passages. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So these are most often scripture or prayers specifically derives from scripture, which, which helps in memorizing the Bible, which we're going to talk about more in a couple weeks. But it's different from memorization in that memorization is a tool for internalizing God's word. But contemplative prayer is a means of connecting with God in each moment. Interesting anecdote from the preacher Charles Spurgeon. He had a, a very old uh, church in England that had a pulpit up on a flight of stairs. So he had to climb the stairs to get to the pulpit so he could like look over everyone uh, from the authority of the word of God. And every Sunday, at every step, he would say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit as he ascended the platform. These short, simple Scriptural prayers have been part of the church's practice for centuries, and they have been prayed in order to tune our hearts towards God throughout the day. Examples of this would be going into stressful situations. You know, that this is going to be a really rough meeting. How can you quickly pray and rem remind yourself of God's presence? We've taught our children short prayers from the Psalms to help them combat bad dreams when they wake up in the middle of the night. 
when you're in the middle of a chaotic work or home environment. We talked last week a little bit about Susanna Wesley pulling her apron over her head when she wanted a quiet time of prayer. But in moments where that's not possible, what can you pray while you're raising kids, while you're doing physical labor on the construction site, while you're busy doing something else that's taking part of your attention? What, how can you focus your mind on God? And then they've also been used as a steady rhythm throughout the day. So this idea of praying these short prayers continually brings up a question that was asked in the Q&R last week. And it's a question that has to do with this verse in Matthew. Jesus says, when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. So what is Jesus telling us to avoid here? If, if, the, his, if in the history of the church and even the scriptures teach us that, that having set rhythms of prayer where we use the prayers of the church to help us, if praying continually throughout the day is a practice that we're supposed to be engaging in, then this seems to be in tension with what Jesus is saying. N.T. Wright comments on this verse this way. He says, we know from many writings and inscriptions that many non-Jews did indeed use multiple formulae in their prayers, long, complicated magic words, which they would repeat over and over in their anxiety to persuade some god or goddess to be favorable to them. R.T. France in his Matthew commentary says, it assumes that the purpose of prayer is first to demand God's attention and then to inform him of needs he may have overlooked. See, the pagan mindset that Jesus is critiquing is that by praying many words, complicated prayers, they could have leverage over their gods and make them do what they wanted. Craig Keener says, Jesus' point of contention with his Jewish contemporaries was not the form of their prayers, which his own prayer in 6, 9 through 13, the Lord's prayer closely matches, but their motivation. See, I think that Jesus isn't speaking specifically on repetition. He's speaking on motivation. Is prayer a weapon or a mantra that we wield over God? Or is prayer a deepening of relationship? We see Jesus even in special circumstances in Matthew 26 when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. After leaving them, he went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. So we at least see an example of of Jesus praying the same prayer continually multiple times in the garden. So I want to I want to draw a little bit of attention specifically to the Jesus prayer because it's it's pretty popular. Maybe some of you have have encountered it. Um, I have found that praying the Jesus Jesus prayer, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, as part of the rhythm of my day to be very helpful in making me aware of my connection with God. Um, again, like I said, it was, it was developed by the Desert Fathers in the three or four hundreds in Egypt. It was assembled from the scriptures. It comes from three different scripture passages. But if you look into this practice, you'll find that over the years, and unfortunately this is what happens a lot in the church, primarily in the Eastern Orthodox Church, they've made this kind of prayer into something that I think resembles the prohibition of Matthew 6. By the time you get to the 1800s, you'll find authors in the Eastern Orthodox Church saying that you should pray that prayer 10,000 times a day. Or if you don't, your salvation is in question. And this is where we hold up the practices 
of the church to Scripture as our ultimate authority. And I think we have the freedom to eat the meat and spit out the bones and say, hey, there, there have been saints throughout history that have found these forms of prayer to be helpful in their maintaining an active communion with God. And if they're helpful to you, great. So we're called to be alert, alert to what's going on in our hearts. And these sorts of prayers can bring us an awareness of what's going on. But I think we're also, be called, also called to be alert to our environments. The thing that prevents me from being in continual prayer oftentimes is the world around me. I get really distracted. Some of you uh, older millennials or, or Gen Xers might remember uh, 1999, a video came out um, where you were asked to count how many times one of the basketball teams in this video passes the ball between each other. There's two teams, one's wearing black shirts and one's wearing white shirts. And you, you, need, to, you need to count how many times the black team passes the ball. And these two teams are kind of weaving around each other. They've each got a ball and the ball's going back and forth. And you just, you focus like one, two, three. And you get to the end and the, the video says, did you get 15? Because that's the right answer. And you either go, no, I didn't. Or, oh yeah, I did. But then it says, did you see the gorilla? And you go, what? And then you rewind the video, and sure enough, a guy in a gorilla costume walks out into the middle of the basketball court and does this, and then walks off, and nobody notices because I'm counting basketballs here. This is, this is my day, oftentimes. This is how I go grocery shopping, right? I'm going to the grocery store, I need gluten-free pasta. I know what aisle it's in and I'm going to go straight there and I'm going to go to the self-checkout. I'm not going to talk to anybody or look at anybody. I'm going to leave. Got a mission. But what am I missing? What am I not seeing? See, part of practicing continual prayer is that it helps me enter a space with the realization that God is already there and he is speaking. Thomas Kelly writes about this. He says, there is a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we may be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting the demands of external affairs. But deep within, behind the scenes at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and a gentle receptiveness to divine breathings. The secular world of today values and cultivates only the first level, assured that there is where the real business of mankind is done. But we know that the deeper level of prayer is the most important thing in the world. It is at this deep level that the real business of life is determined. I like to think of this like a computer with multiple programs open. I've got Microsoft Word and I'm typing, but Spotify is open in the background. I can't even see it, but the music is playing. There's a famous Christian uh, who um, spent his life pursuing this reality named Brother Lawrence. He says, we will continually apply ourselves so that all our actions without exception become a kind of brief conversation with God. And so what does it look like for me to go to the grocery store and know I have to get the noodles? 
but also to be aware of what's going on around me. What are the things that God might be saying to me about the people that I see, about the needs they might have? Maybe I'm being called to to speak to one of them, to share Jesus with them. Maybe I'm just called to silently pray for them, but to just have my eyes open to this world is inhabited all the time by God and he's at work and he's invited me to be a part of it, to pay attention. Paul calls us to perseverance here because the world is so distracting but I think it's something that we can grow in if we practice. But then there's one more thing I think we're called to be alert to, and that's to the saints. Paul talks here about the intercession for the saints. And I think this is one of the easiest entry points into continual prayer. And if you're, if you're not sure, saints, saints is just a word that means Christians. There's, again, a lot, of, a lot of Christian baggage around the idea of saints and that they're like special super Christians that we dedicate and um, remember, and, and there's some really amazing people that we would call saints that we should learn from. But in the Bible, the word saint is just the word for Christian. All of you in Christ here are saints, his holy ones. So Paul says, make it, make it your continual habit to pray for people. Maybe this is done anonymously. You know, when you, when you first get that notification on your phone of some terrible news story, my tendency is to just go like, whoa, what's going on? But what if I prayed? What if I immediately went to the Lord with that information? Sometimes I've heard, I've heard some of you share this story as well, and it's a terrible story, but like you're on a road trip and there's just a horrific car accident. Do you pray for the people that may be involved? Again, I mentioned the grocery store. There's plenty of people and you, sometimes you can just sense like, man, this person is having a rough day. Maybe they work there. And maybe it's appropriate to say something, to speak a word of encouragement, but at least can you lift them up in prayer? I like to pray when I pass church buildings. We have a lot of church buildings and there's congregations that meet throughout this community and we can pray for God to be present in their midst and to bless them. So this kind of prayer can just be part of our continual connection with God. But it also, I think, has a personal application. So when you're in, an, in a scenario where somebody says, hey, I need prayer, you know what you could do? You could pray for them, right? And, and that sounds, you know, pretty straightforward, but how many times do we just kind of say like, yeah, well, I'll pray for you. And then you leave and you forget. What if you just stopped and prayed? Maybe they didn't ask for prayer, but maybe they just shared a need. How's your week going? Oh man, it's been really hard. This is happening. And hey, can, can I pray for you right now? Would that be okay? I've never had anybody say no to me when I've asked them if I could pray for them. Sometimes they think it's super weird. I can, I can feel that. I don't care. When you're meeting with people, I meet with people all the time for coffee, for, for different things, to talk. Hey, can, can we pray before we leave? When you're, having, when you're having someone over for dinner, hey, be, before we say goodnight, let's, let's just gather up our families and, and pray for each other. See, there's always an opportunity to bring people before God in prayer. Oswald Chambers says, God brings you to places among people and into certain conditions to accomplish a definite purpose through the intercession of the Spirit in you. 
Your part in intercessory prayer is not to agonize over how to intercede, but to use the everyday circumstances and people God puts around you by his providence to bring them before his throne and to allow the spirit in you the opportunity to intercede for them. In this way, God is going to touch the whole world with his saints. Charles Spurgeon again says, intercessory prayer is exceedingly powerful. What wonders it has wrought. The word of God teems with its marvelous deeds. Believer, thou hast a mighty engine in thy hand. Use it well. Use it constantly. Use it with faith. And thou shalt surely be a benefactor to thy brethren. So as we wrap up, I I just want to encourage you again that, that the scripture calls us to an ever-increasing awareness of God's presence and active communion with him. And sometimes that's going to be words, talking. Sometimes that's just going to be an awareness of who he is and what he's doing, a feeling of his love. But in all this, it's really easy to hear about that to hear about a, a habit of, of praying continually. I mean, some of you are like, man, I don't even pray like once a day. Now you want me to pray all the time? Of praying for others? Man, I, I don't know if I can do that. That sounds hard. And what we feel is we feel guilty. We feel like, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this enough. I'm not a good Christian. I'm not, I can't, I can't do it. And if you feel this way, I want to encourage you that God's intent for you is not that you would feel guilt and shame over lack, but that you would feel joy and encouragement that you've been invited into the life of God himself. That there is no list of tasks to get done in order to get a good grade with God, but just an invitation to be a part of what he's doing. And you have the freedom to engage with him whenever you want. And I would encourage you to put things into practice that would help you engage with him more regularly. Because Jesus' work on the cross, uniting you to God isn't meant to be felt as a burden, but as a privilege. God is at work all the time in this world. And we've been invited to tune in to what he's doing. And if we practice paying attention to what God is doing and to developing a habit of constant prayer, I think that God will transform us through it. Let's do some Q&R. Is it wrong to ask God for material things? And is it normal to argue with yourself while praying? <laughs> I tend to doubt myself while praying. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Is it wrong to ask God for material things? No, God says we should ask him for material things. He says we should ask for daily bread. He, should, he says that we should ask for the things we need. What he also says, though, is that we shouldn't worry about it. And that's, that's what happens with, to me is I get worried that I'm not going to have enough, that God's going to forget about me. And so bringing our needs to God is something that he wants because he is our good father and he wants to know what we need. Is it normal to argue with yourself while praying? 
Um, oh, I went away. Where'd it go? I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna. So I'm gonna think about that. Um, without knowing the specifics of this question, I tend to feel like if I pray for something and God doesn't answer it the way I think He should, then that somehow. Uh, casts doubt on God. And so sometimes I won't pray for things because, well, what if he doesn't answer it? And then, then I doubt myself. I doubt my faith. Is God really real? Does he really answer prayer? And I don't know if that's exactly what your question was, but, but if it is, I would say that your, your doubts, your arguing, your your struggle in prayer is something that God can bear. God is the great king of the universe. He knows your thoughts and he welcomes you into prayer. And if that's a struggle, he welcomes you into that struggle. And he would rather struggle with you in that and wrestle it down than have you disconnect from it. We, in, our, in our study in Genesis a few months ago, we talked about um, Jacob wrestling with the angel. He wrestled all night and said, bless me. And there's a lot of th- theology to unpack there, but, but God was there for that fight. And if you feel like prayer is an internal struggle, then press into it and don't use that feeling to pull out of it because God wants you in the middle of it. What is the fundamental difference between Eastern meditation where such practice is typical and biblical meditation and the use of short repetitive lines? So there are, there are, there's one big difference between typical Eastern practice and biblical meditation, and it is this. Eastern meditation is asking you to empty your mind, that there is this, this goal of, of becoming uh, less, of becoming nothing, of, of, of taking your personality and your soul and who you are and removing it. Biblical meditation always involves filling your mind. It always involves bringing the word of God deep into your heart. It always involves uh, thinking about the truth of God, right? This is why it's so important to know who God is because there is, um, like I said, there is an enemy in the spiritual world that wants to destroy you. And if we aren't praying truthfully, to God through his word, then we are opening ourselves up to dangerous things. And I don't think that's a warning to not practice godly meditation, but I do think it's a warning to practice it well. Is there room for heavenly prayer language like what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 14? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 14. It seems like it. I don't have a lot of, of uh, thoughts on that other than it's in the Bible. So if that's something that you've experienced, I think Paul sets up some parameters for, um, he's specifically talking about speaking in tongues. Um, I think there are, there are parameters for gathered worship and how that should be done in decency and in order. Um, but I don't have any problem with that. <laughs> all right, those are all the questions. Nice. We're gonna take communion. Communion with God 
Right? So we've been talking about communion with God is our theological reality. We have communion with God, and it is a practical ideal. It is something we are pursuing through discipline. We are already united with Christ, and we are also being united to Christ. And the communion table, notice the similarity there, is a reminder of that reality. The physical elements of the bread and the cup enter into our bodies. They unite with their bodies and they, our bodies and they provide us nourishment. And the body and blood of Christ is united to our spirit and provides us nourishment. We grow more mature through the nourishment that the spirit of Christ in us gives us. So Christians this morning, come to the table and receive the grace of God through communion with him. Ask the Lord to invite you to lean in. What, what do you have for me in this season at this time, God? What am I missing? What am I distracted by? Where are you being called to grow into more continual communion with him? You've been listening to the Revelation Church Coeur d'Alene podcast. Learn more about Revelation Church at revelationcda.com.